I'm not comfortable with the idea of death. So <laughs> I'm like pretty aware of my mortality and just how little time we have. I want to feel like every day I'm not, not that I've necessarily made most of it. Cause like, I mean, I fall into all the traps that people do, you know, scrolling social media, losing a half hour here, an hour there, just like doing whatever bullshit when you should be doing something more worthwhile. But in general, I feel this urgency in my life to like do things and that we have a finite amount of time. So that's, that's where that comes from. Welcome to the B-Rad Podcast. I am Kat Bradley, your host, and with me today I have um, Tony Kropitka, who I've known for several years, known of for longer, Um, and when I just did a brief Google search, I found out he was best known for his beard. (laughs) Which I'm missing today, I guess. Yeah, I guess it's a little trimmed down, (laughs) huh? Yeah, 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 I just haven't shaved. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. but you're kind of a character in ultra running, and, you know, I was telling you before um we you know hit record that I found out about you because my friend Sean and I were you know trail running together and he was telling me about these ultras and you know we were living in Santa Barbara and um my buddy from college and he was like oh we have to be running these 200 mile weeks and also have to be wearing these like new balance shoes. And I don't, you know, I'm too ADHD to read a blog or like do anything. So he like bought me a used pair of (laughs) these new balance shoes on eBay. How does it feel to be like this character in ultra running? Um, I mean, that's, I don't know. That's, that's an interesting question because I don't think anybody likes to be, have their, their identity or their personality flattened to yeah. a caricature basically. And, but that's what happens naturally if you gain any sort of public profile. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can be frustrating, I suppose. But the flip side of that is that I guess I'm grateful for any kind of notoriety that I've had over the last 15 years, because it's given me the career that I've had so far of, being able to run full time, uh, kind of determine my life on a day to day basis and go on. I mean, it's just opened up crazy opportunities. I never really would have imagined having, you know, traveling all over the world, getting into other mountain sports and having wild adventures and meeting all sorts of people. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, that's the, uh, those are what I try to focus on when I think about the fact that people who I don't know, know me. Yeah. Do you feel like you're misrepresented? Yeah. Like sort of like I was saying at the beginning is it's, uh, to me, uh, being a runner, especially for the past decade, um, where I haven't been just a runner, it's a part of my personality, but it's not the totality of my personality. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but that's fine. It doesn't really affect me how I'm represented yeah, or how other people view me. So I can't get too upset about it. But depending on just how I'm feeling on a day-to-day basis, you know, what, where my headspace is, I can be like annoyed or just like meh, whatever. Yeah. Know, so. and, and sorry to dig into this, but I find it like so interesting because I always wondered, you know, like that's, you know, what an interesting place to be. Um, but how would you represent yourself differently? I guess over the past decade uh, with a series of injuries that started around, I guess, really 2015 or even 2011, um, I was kind of forced to broaden my athletic horizons from being uh, sort of myopically and monomaniacally a runner. And... uh, at first I had some resistance to taking up cycling, for instance, uh, or skiing, but eventually became really excited about those things. And, um, at this point in my life, I kind of view myself as primarily a runner, cyclist and climber, Mm -hmm. um, sort of equal on all those. And, uh, 
so yeah, there's those other sides of me, not just a runner. And I don't know, I spend a lot of time paying attention to politics, reading, writing, um, interested in music, art, literature. And those things aren't as like relevant, pertinent to racing, yeah. <laughs> I guess. And people, people can relate to racing. So that's what they always want to talk about. That's what they get the most excited about. Um, you know, people who aren't your close friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Those are the other aspects of my personality. I would yeah. Say. Do yeah. you, do you like almost that you have only this part of yourself that's represented publicly because then you can kind of keep those other parts of you to yourself? Um, no, I don't really even think about it that way, I guess. I've always just, you know, right now social media is the primary way that you let the world know what you're doing as a public person. Yeah. And um, I've always taken the tack of not trying to cultivate a certain audience or, I don't know, put out content that I think people are going to be excited about, but just do whatever I want. Like whatever I'm excited about, whatever is inspiring me, motivating me, that's what you're going to see uh, from me. And people can receive it however they do. Uh, I think, I think invariably people are still the most interested in me as a runner, which is totally fine. And I get that. Like I've been a runner for what, 27 years and, uh, an ultra runner specifically for 15 years, 16 years. And that's the only reason I have any kind of profile or, uh, I don't know, clout in the outdoor industry, (laughs) I guess. So it makes sense that that's what people would be interested in. Uh, but like I said, there's, there's just a lot of other things I'm interested in too. Yeah. Do you think you would have found those other things that you're interested in if it weren't for the injuries? Yeah. That's one of those unanswerable questions. And I think about that, or I've thought about it before, uh, because I've, most of these other activities, except for probably except for climbing, um, I was always interested in that kind of along with running. Um, I was just resistant to, I just saw them as kind of cross training. Like I've ridden a bike. I mean, I bought a bike my freshman year of college because of injuries. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've always used it as a cross training tool, but hadn't ever really embraced it as a lifestyle or, um, really gotten interested in it until probably 2015. Um, so I don't know. It's, I think probably not. I mean, it took me what, almost 20 years of running to like really get into cycling, you know, yeah. so, um, if I had had a more inherent interest in it earlier, I probably would have, you know, dug into that. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, climbing was something I took, took up like the first week of college, my freshman year, mm-hmm. uh, when I moved to Colorado, um, but didn't really start pursuing it seriously until 2012. Uh, and then, uh, skiing was another one because of injuries. I started, you know, 10 years ago, it was all the rage because I suppose yeah. Killian. Um, <laughs> and I mean, it's still, I mean, it's going to be in the Olympics now, schema, schema mountaineering. Um, but yeah, I, that is still a very attractive way to be in the mountains to me. And, um, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, you said something there that, you know, caught my attention. You said to pursue seriously yeah. and, you know, while you, are, you know, a professional athlete. Um, it probably says that on your tax returns, you know, (laughs) and which is how I joke about it, you know, because I, we both do a lot of other things Mm and, um, you know, but when you say pursue seriously, like, what does that mean to you? Does that mean it just like takes up a lot of your time or, um, a lot of your bandwidth? Yeah, I would say it's twofold. It's that, yeah, it takes up a lot of my time, but also, this was already a couple of years ago. Um, well, actually, so uh, I like to climb a lot. And the nearest and most classic and most prominent climbing area to Boulder is just in El Dorado Canyon, just mm-hmm. 10 miles away. And the first person I climbed with there was a good friend of mine, Buzz Burrell, uh, who a lot of people who are listening to this podcast probably know. And uh, But just a couple of years ago, uh, Buzz was back in town for something. I was like, we should like get out and scramble or go for, you know, a climb or something. And Buzz's response to me, and this is classic of Buzz, was, 
He's like, nope, not going to climb. Uh, he's like, if I can't commit to doing something for an hour, three times a week, then I'm just putzing. <laughs> yeah. And that is definitely, uh, I, I didn't really realize it until he, he stated it that way, but that's absolutely how I approach things too, is I, I don't, um, uh, like I consider myself a runner, a cyclist and a climber because those are things that I do very consistently and devote a lot of time and energy and thought to, and I guess have um, like objectives and goals in each one mm -hmm. that I'm working towards uh, on an annual basis. So that's how I define seriously. Yeah, that's so interesting. I'm wondering if that half like has to do with, um, you know, runners tend to be or athletes in general, um, even, you know, adventure athletes tend to be type A in some way. And it's, you know, I say type A, but what I might mean is a perfectionist. And I'm wondering oh, see, I was going to say goal oriented, maybe. But, or goal yeah. oriented, but that yeah. still is in line I wouldn't, with I perfectionism. Yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't classify myself as either type, type A or a perfectionist. Yeah. But definitely goal oriented. Goal oriented. Yeah, I need, I need to have something to kind of focus my efforts and give them some structure and purpose mm -hmm. in order to feel like it's worth spending time doing it, I guess. Yeah. So with a biking objective or with biking, like, did you have an objective before you committed to the sport of cycling? Uh, no, it was, it was just, I got a stress fracture in my tibia in early <laughs> spring. And I was like, I am not willing to lose my entire summer Yeah. <laughs> to like just sitting around. Um, yeah. so I, just started biking every day. Um, yeah. like bought a bike on Craigslist and really threw myself into it, you know? So, but there weren't, no, by the end of that summer, I had already started. Yeah. There were various objectives. Um, there were, you know, looking back, they were kind of small, but there were definitely, I had these goals, you know, one was like ride my bike to Long's Peak and climb Long's Peak and ride back. And mm -hmm. another one was like this 200 mile loop, here on the front range, that's really classic. And you know, that, those kinds of things. So my goals in the cycling world have morphed and progressed over the last yeah. seven years. But yeah, from the beginning, I definitely had things that I wanted to do on the bike. Yeah. Um, so r with running, you know, I'm just so interested, I, like none of these questions I've written down, I'm just like so fascinated <laughs> in this, you know, um, evolution of you as an athlete and now you have all these other sports that are kind of aligned um but also not you know for me I'm very much a runner you know that's where I get my the most joy that's where I feel the most connected for to sure. myself and everything else and sometimes for me I feel like gear gets in the way and that's why climbing has also been appealing to me um, even though there's a ton of gear for climbing too, there's but your, your yeah. hand, but like your hand is on rock, just like your foot is on the ground, you know? And yeah, that's actually, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. And, um, and so I feel more connected to the movement that I'm doing. Like how is, you know, if we were to describe like you're not necessarily your relationship, but like, um, what it gives to you, you know, what, or what you get from it. And, um, and maybe your relationship, does that differ between running, climbing and, um, cycling? No, not really. Yeah. Um, I guess that's why I'm always a little bit, uh, baffled when people differentiate between or among them, because mm -hmm. it's all the same thing to me. It's, it's being like present in my body in the outdoors mm -hmm. and probably uh, if I'm not doing something challenging, like working towards doing something challenging, you know? Yeah. Uh, because when I'm out pushing myself in the mountains, that's when I feel the most present and the most aligned with my surroundings. And I mean, that's where all, I mean, that's why like, I don't know. That's why I race for instance yeah. is you're at like the peak version of yourself, you mm -hmm. know? And I think that's what I'm looking for in all these activities. Of course, that happens only a few times a year or, you know, on a less, to a lesser degree, maybe a few times a month. But that experience of being aligned with your capabilities, uh, the challenge before you and your surroundings is, I don't know, I guess you could call it flow state or 
yeah, um, that's what I'm looking for with all these things. Yeah. yeah. Um, you spend just, you know, I, I mentioned just before this that like I did some stalking before we, you know, 30 minutes of hardcore social media stalking, including Strava. Oh, and okay. uh, <laughs> which is my favorite social media. I agree. Yeah, it's, it's definitely my favorite social media. Yeah, I'm addicted to Strava. Even when I'm not running, I'm still like, what's everyone else doing? Some cool sure, adventure. Yeah. But um, and I looked at what you've been doing. And although, um, you know, you're known for super high mileage, like again, like my friend Sean and I were running 80 miles a week, you know, not when we shouldn't have because you're running 200 miles a week. <laughs> and, um, and you know, now you're still, you know, it's not all running, but you're still doing an incredible amount of volume outside. Sure. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, at least three hours outside a day. And that's just what I see. What, what do you think you'd pour your energy into and find that flow state if all of that was taken away? Ah, that's a good question. Um, probably some kind of creative pursuit. Uh, like I've been working a lot the last couple of years on writing more focusedly and with actual kind of like, I don't know, deadlines and projects and stuff. And so I would spend more time developing my writing, but then I'd probably also get in, into photography more. Mm -hmm. Um, I really enjoy taking photos. 99% of them are on my iPhone. Um, <laughs> but uh, I like, I, I appreciate, I guess, um, the art of photography. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Those are the things. And, and then, I mean, if I had the time and energy, like I would grow a garden. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would, I would, uh, I would throw my time and energy into like a homestead somewhere, basically. Yeah. Um, if, assuming that I would still have the physical capability to do yeah. that kind of thing too. Yeah. Yeah. It that? sounds like you you're at the point now that you'd be okay. At least it'd suck. But uh, like... I don't know if I'd be okay. There'd be a huge <laughs> adjustment period. I think I could eventually get okay with it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I guess you talk about something like gardening or even um, some kind of outdoor project. That's it's just a different version of what I'm doing with all these other with all this other stuff. Yeah. You know, it's being outside. It's, yeah, connecting to your the natural world world around you and having some kind of project to work on, I guess. Yeah. When did you realize that that was so important to you connecting to when I, really young, because um, I grew up on a farm in Nebraska, and I started running when I was 11 or 12, it was 95, um, and uh, immediately just like took to it really quickly, and kind of with like within a year, I definitely understood that part of what was important about it for me was being so in tune with like what the weather is doing, the seasons, um, you know, how my body feels, uh, yeah, it just instantly became a big part of my identity. But I think that I just remember very early on having this thought of, man, it'd be so weird if your life was just going from like climate controlled, like box to climate controlled box, you know, from like home to car to school or work and back and never having, being aware of, I guess, what, the world is doing actually you know? yeah and not just the it, the world almost implies like the people in the world but like the or do you mean like yeah, the, the environment yeah. yeah the environment exactly. and the planet just like yeah. the, the natural cycles of seasons and day-to-day -day weather and yeah all that and yeah that sounds so weird like a meteorologist or something but no it's just like being connected to like i don't know to me that's what reality is oh totally you know and um <laughs> And it's just weird if you're completely divorced from that, but yeah. I um, ha was like living with someone that I knew from like a friend of a friend from Ohio for a little bit when I was in between places. And this person went from uh, home to, uh, to, to car, mm -hmm. to parking garage, to yeah. um, office. And I couldn't believe it. And he was like, the average American only spends 30 minutes outside a day. And I didn't believe him. And I just thought that was the most depressing thing <laughs> I've ever heard. <laughs> no, it's wild. And like, I'll have like recently, 
just last week, I guess, uh, I took most of the week off because I was just feeling like garbage. And um, there was a couple days where I spent less than 30 minutes outside. Yeah. <laughs> and, but it's like such an anomaly for me. It's just like, oh, I just don't even know what it's doing outside right now. But, you know, I know. Like, <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Do you find that... Um the weather affects your mood at all for someone who's so in touch with the outdoors? Uh, yeah, it does. I, I think that's pretty predictable ways. Mm-hmm. Like I get exhausted and beat down by like the heat and the sun in the summer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, usually winters are pretty mild here in Boulder on the front range anymore yeah. to where I mean, you know, by time February or March rolls around, you're kind of ready for winter to move on. But, um, no, I don't know. I like it all. I like the variation. Mm-hmm. I think most people who live in Boulder can identify with this. It's always super nice when there's like a gloomy day because it's always so sunny here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't identify with that. Oh, really? God, I love it. I'm like it. a yeah. total lizard. I'm like, give me hot on a rock. I'm, no, this is where I love, I'm happiest. I love the gloomy days too because it's, you know, it is sort of like this monotony of sunshine yeah oh my gosh (laughs) give me that monotony i'm i'm a creature of the sun it's so funny that you say that because i i would have never known (laughs) Um, i like variation in general like yeah a big reason why i like living in boulder is i think it is probably the most mild true four season climate maybe colorado springs is more mild but yeah it's they're they're like all four seasons are here but they're all like pretty mellow yeah Yeah, true. Um, like have I like having all four? I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe I'll like it again one day. <laughs> 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 My toes just need to, you know, warm up first. Um, so I want to, you know, this might be annoying for you, but I really want to get back to like this public figure of you because it's such, you know, I I just find it fascinating, and I and I have seen it. Um, in myself and I'm, you know, a a small person in the sport compared to you. And I, and I realize how it affects me and it's how it's shaped my adult life and my personality is, and we both had, um, success in the trail world young. Mm -hmm. Um, how has that shaped you as a person having, or, you know, your decisions and, um, you seem pretty immune to a lot of it, but I imagine it, it has to have had some effect. Yeah, it. I imagine it has too, but I don't feel too aware of what that effect might be. Every now and then, I think I can feel like, oh, I don't know, you know, like, oh, you're acting, or, you know, your thought process at least is, uh, you know, like that's an entitled way to think or something, you know, because, mm-hmm. I don't know, for 15 years... I've had a lot of opportunities in the outdoor industry uh, and a lot of people like telling you you're great, you know, and of course that has to have some kind of effect on, I don't know, the way I view myself. But as you alluded to, I do, I make a pretty intentional effort to pay as little attention to all of that as possible, yeah. I guess. Um, Gosh, I mean, 15 years ago, I probably like read comments and articles and that kind of thing. But now I just, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm 39. Like, I just don't really care. You know? Yeah, it's totally. Just like, it's just like not a part of my, Day-to-day. it's not where I like, I don't seek validation there anymore. I don't mm-hmm. know. I think I seek validation more now from like, you know, people I respect, like friends I respect, uh, you know, my dad and yeah. like Haley and yeah. What um, about in those younger formative years though? Cause, because even yeah. before that, like you were what, 22 when you won Leadville? I just turned up. 23, like a couple weeks before. Yeah. And then you blew up on the ultra running scene mm-hmm. yeah. and you all of a sudden had opportunities and, you know, with those opportunities is the implication that they might go away, you know? Well, and, th- yeah. And that, I mean, for me personally, that's totally, you know, I stumbled in this. I, I loved running. I love, I was firmly in the outdoor industry before I'd been a guide, um, backpack guide, rafting guide. Um, and you know, and had been a, you know, collegiate runner and I, so it was a natural progression. And then 
after Western States, I was stoked, but then was the implication that like, oh, if I fuck up, like <laughs> this could when did all. You, when did you start running ultras? Um, twenty. 13 was my first, like I didn't like an 80 mile attempt because I read like some blog, not, it was in Rhode Island. I was seeing my mom. So, and then when was your first hundred? First hundred was 2014, um, where I did the bear 100 or no, no, no. I did Bryce 100 where I got, I got DFL twice in a row. I got, um, proud DFL. I, um, did, uh, I, I mean, I was just like, partying too hard and then going and racing these <laughs> yeah, but, no, but that's wild because you know for me my first hundred I won it which is yeah like to be humbled like that that's just like it's it's crazy that you then went on what year did you win western then I ran I won western in 2017 okay, so, so yeah, we met I think the year that I won the bear yeah, no, in I, I was going to say, I thought bear was where I met you the first time yeah and that was 2015 yeah, yeah okay. and um that was after two DFLs and the Knights of the Bear. So and that was your third hundred. Okay. And that was my third hundred. Wow, but crazy. the two DFLs was the first one I was like just partying with my friends. And then, you know, they were like, okay, get in the car, cat. And I drunkenly got in the car and they drove me to Bryce, Utah. Overnight. And then the second one, um, and I just didn't know what I was doing. It was so funny. I like went out and did the first 50 in like nine hours. <laughs> uh, walked it in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> With like insane chafing. Um, and then the second one, I, uh, f- my friend from high school, put, like we were out, you know, again, like stupid. We were, you know out at the bars and I was trying to, I was like living with some friends and I was trying to break into their house because I didn't have a key and she pushed me through the window and I hit my knee, um, on the bathtub Oh wow. and I ended up cracking my, um, my kneecap, the bone there. And I didn't wow. know it. Um, on and then bathtub. I raised on a bathtub That's and it was, wow. well, and then I did pine to palm two weekends later was DFL mm. and everyone was like so worried about this girl racing Pine of Palm and you know how was like let her do it <laughs> then it oh because of your kneecap because oh yeah because and I was, was like you should run this well <laughs> I asked for duct tape at an aid station and just like made it splint and then was like walking downhill backwards um, yeah, I don't. I don't have that. Gene. <laughs> I, just, I like. I refuse to start races if I'm not. If I'm unsure whether my body will allow me to finish, uh, I was, you know, to I, I had no nothing on the line. Yeah, yeah, you exactly. Know? You were just like, this is just a crazy adventure I'm gonna do. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I thought, and I was like, I just, I was like, it was three hundred dollars. I'm not gonna not race it. Sure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, but it, the Corey Road Aid Station at Western States. Um, Hal was working that aid station. I was like, Hal, remember me? I was the one that walked your whole race. And he was like, <laughs> Kat, get the fuck out of here. You're, You're being winning. chased. <laughs> huh. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, for me, I guess uh, Leadville was the first real, well, I won a couple of the shorter races earlier that summer, but that was my first real validation as a runner in my whole mm-hmm. life. Uh, I been training seriously for 10 years at that point and had run a marathon 10 years earlier um, and then track and cross country in high school and college. But I just, I just sucked at that stuff. Yeah. Um, just don't have leg speed and VO2 max, and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, running 200 miles a week prepares you pretty well for a hundred miler. Um, so I had success there. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, when I was in my twenties, for sure, I was like deliberately competitive in kind of a, uh, I don't know. I think it's just like typical male kind of alpha ego stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to beat this person. I want to be the best. Um, I need to, I don't know, assert my dominance. And for me, that came, I think, from always wanting to be successful at running and never really experiencing that success. So then when it did come, I was going to like maximize it, you know, like do as Mm -hmm. good as I could. Um, And I don't know, like anyone in their twenties, I was just like figuring my life out and trying to figure out like 
who I was and what my identity was. And when you're getting this positive reinforcement, I hate this term, but yeah, you're going to lean into it, you know? Yeah. Um, Oh, totally. I've done that over and over again. (laughs) So yeah, but I would say getting injured for so long, it, I don't know, not necessarily gave me time to grow up, but it was just like a point in my life where that happens kind of naturally, I think. And, um, so then when I was able to like come back and do Leadville last year, I was just like in such a different place in my life. You know, yeah. I just didn't care about, not, not, I wouldn't say I didn't care about the result, but I really, I was just going to be grateful to finish a hundred miles again. Yeah. You know? Um, so yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. Um, why in the beginning, like I'm just curious why Leadville? Oh, uh, I mean, I went to school in Colorado Springs and Leadville was the race. It was just yeah. like, if you were a badass mountain runner, you did Leadville. Mm-hmm. Is that, I mean, in Colorado Springs, like Pikes Peak Marathon is, yeah. that is the local race and everyone's super into it. And I was trying to do that that summer, 2006, but there was just some confusion about entry into the race and I didn't think I had gotten in. And uh, a running store manager in the springs, uh, he was like, dude, you're already running 200 miles a week. You're never going to be more prepared to race a hundred miles. Like just do Leadville instead. Cause they're usually the same weekend. And that was kind of like the kick in the butt I needed to commit to it. So I went up and, um, ran the first 50 miles of the race course. This was three weeks before the race and that went well. And then a week later did a 50 miler on Pikes peak and then, I I didn't really taper for that race, but that was my last long, long run, I guess, two weeks before. And, uh, yeah, then went and ran Leadville. So, yeah. Do you feel like a connection to that race or now I do? Yeah. Yeah. At that point, um, I, I mean the Sawatch range, you know, it's full of 14ers. And when I was in college, that was always attractive. Um, the, my, college cross country team would always have preseason camps in like between like Buena Vista and Salida. And mm-hmm. sometimes we'd go up near Leadville and just the Arkansas river Valley. And so it was always this kind of magical mystical spot of like, this is where the mountains are in Colorado. Mm-hmm. You know? and, um, and it was the summer leading up to the race too. Uh, just like me and my friends would head up to the mountains most weekends just to like run or some of them ride bikes and that, that yeah. kind of thing. And, um, but since then, you know, I spent four or five summers, uh, two summers living up there full time, uh, working in the coffee shop, uh, and then three more summers spending most of the summer up there, um, you know, living in my truck all the time mm-hmm. and have done the race six times now. And so, yeah, the town of Leadville specifically, but that whole region yeah. is, I think, like strikingly important to kind of the narrative arc of my life and uh, certainly my, uh, I don't know, position in the sport. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, Leadville in the last, you know, seven or eight years has kind of gotten a bad rap for, you know. What, like 2013, that was the year when there was like, 1200 people ran it or something and yeah, there's a bunch of like goo rappers on the course or something. Yeah, goo rappers <laughs> yeah. and like you know people that were it was like people were, couldn't get on the trail and you know since I think it its reputation is tarnished, you know. And I had not run Leadville um until 2019 and then um but had heard all about it and you know, had, you know, my preconceived notions about Leadville before and the race itself. And then I ran it and I was just like, this is, you know, probably my favorite race. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm in I love with Leadville. I loved it. And I, I loved everything about it. Like, I loved the community. You know, I'm just a runner, too. Like, I love mm-hmm. running. Um, it's a running course. It's a There's running a course. Running. Yeah. yeah. And so do you feel like the spirit of Leadville had, had has changed or... Um, yeah, I mean, of course, I mean, over 15 years, it'd be crazy if something stayed the same, you know, Yeah. I, I think it's a little odd when people are always, when, when it seems like the default for most humans is that change is a bad thing. Yeah. You know, it's always hearkening back to like, things are better back in the day. And, um, for sure, Leadville's changed. I mean, I think Lifetime bought it in 2010, maybe. I can't remember what year it was, 2009, 2010. Um, 
so yeah, it technically became like owned by a corporation then. Yeah. But from the very beginning, 1983, uh, there was no bones. About, it was, the, uh, was supposed to be a money making proposition. Yeah, it was all it was, about economics. Yeah. That was for the, the town. reason it was founded. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I don't know why people think that's weird. Um, but I also think it's fine that there's a spectrum of events in the sport. Yeah. You know, uh, Hard Rock gets held up as being this rootsy, uh, I don't know, like kind of the soul of the sport type mm-hmm. thing, you know? And I think it is, but there are a lot, there's a lot of things about it that are problematic too. Um, and I, I mean, the Hard Rock course is unassailably rad. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of really cool things about it. But it's cool that something like Hard Rock can exist and then something like Leadville or, you know, going further, UTMB exists where it's like the hype is as jacked up as you can possibly have it. You know? Yeah. And um, the, like I just did a 50K a couple weeks ago where there were like 50 people and everyone just sat around in lawn chairs afterwards and waited for everyone to finish and it was rad and I love that, you yeah. know, but I've also done UTMB twice and other big European races, um, that were just as hyped up and, uh, I enjoyed those too for what they were. So I don't know. Has Leadville changed? Yeah. I mean, the first year I did it, uh, I signed up two weeks before the race. It was a couple hundred bucks and there were like horse tanks of cores <laughs> at the pre-race meeting on oh, ice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I remember having one, um, but it's just like hilarious that, you know, now it's owned by like a fitness company and, um, I don't know. It's, that's fine. I don't really care because Leadville, I mean, Leadville's changed a lot, Yeah. but I don't see any of it as like being bad necessarily. It's just kind of like, that's the March of time. It's kind of the way things go. Yeah. It's so interesting because, you know, I asked this question or some version of this question in every podcast I've done so far, because, you know, it feels like the industry is changing rapidly. And with that races and with that, the structure of the races and everyone has super strong opinions, but so far from the conversations that I've had, it's been like, yeah, there's like awesome parts about the good old days, but like, of course this is a natural progression of something that's growing. And but like the aspects of the good old days, everyone wants still exists. Somewhere, yeah. In the sport, you know, so oh my god, I just did this race problem. in Mexico that was hardly marked and <laughs> <laughs> it was like a total adventure, and it was crazy, but it felt like some yeah. of my first adventures, you know. Oh, wow, and okay. everyone was like, even though it was a UTMB event, like I was gonna say that was a UTMB, and then it was like a wild adventure, <laughs> and that, and you know. And then again, you can like go race a 50K and that 50 people are racing and every, it's a community event. It's like really, really special. Um, uh, So, you know, as we've talked about growth in this sport, you know, you have grown with, with brands and grown out of brands and you're with La Sportiva now before you were at New Balance. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Were you with another shoe brand before? Yeah, those are only two. Yeah. yeah. So how um, have those brand relationships changed? Like when you signed with New Balance, I guess you were signed like as a just a pro athlete. Yeah, they're two very different companies. Um, yeah. The thing that is similar about them is that they're still both private companies. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Sportiva specifically is... Like, I mean, it's this Italian family, basically, uh, in this little village in the Dolomites. And I don't know, being a private company has a significant effect on company culture. Uh, I mean, you don't have a bottom line that you have to like report to shareholders all the time. Mm-hmm. And that allows you to take more risks and spend, I don't know, spend money and so people get treated a little more humanely as a result. And yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like both New Balance and Sportiva are all about selling shoes, too, <laughs> but uh, not in the way that maybe some other brands are. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but I, Sportiva was actually my first ever sponsor. Oh. Uh, yeah, so I ran in Las Sportivas in 2006 in Leadville. Like I bought off the shelf at a run shop. And like a week after the race, Buzz was... 
he was the manager of, he founded and created the Las Pativa mountain running team. Mm -hmm. And he just, he got my email. Well, actually Matt Carpenter gave him my email and he was like, saw you were wearing Sportiva's Leadville last week. Great job. Like you want a pair? I was like, please. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Um, so that was with them for two years, but then, uh, New Balance, uh, they wanted to start sponsoring a couple trail runners. And so, and that was in, in like 2008. Uh, and I was one of them and I don't know. I mean, yeah, New Balance changed my life because they're a big company with a lot of resources and they treated me like a professional athlete. And so I like quickly developed kind of like, like just like grew into that role, you know, mm-hmm. of giving talks and traveling around the world and going to sales meetings and, uh, tons and tons of product design and photo shoots and the marketing that goes into that and video shoots. And I mean, just all that stuff. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and they paid me a real salary and that completely changed my life. It's what has allowed me to be a full-time, uh, runner for over 10 years now, 12 years now. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know, but the difference is, I mean, eventually because of the way I was growing as an athlete, diversifying the kinds of sports I was doing, New Balance was very narrowly a running company, mm-hmm. um, which was a good fit, you know, at that time. But eventually, you know, I wanted shoes that had sticky rubber on them so I could scramble in the flat irons. And yeah. I was very interested in more Alpine objectives and Sportiva is like the consummate mountain company. Yeah, you know, for, for real. All sports. Like, it's um, legit I mean, they don't do anything races. cycling. But, uh, yeah, in terms of, you know, skiing, running, climbing, it's, yeah, as good as it gets. So yeah. it's great. When did you s- sign with Sportiva? 2015 for the second time. Yeah. Um, so this is like my eighth year, I guess. Eighth year. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, how, like, does the contract look the same or has it developed? You know, I was, um, I talked to another athlete who's been in the sport for like a long time and you know, one of his frustrations is he is a very well-respected athlete, but his contract looks more and more like an influencer contract and Hmm. not that it has specific influencer objectives, but it's just not structured as a pro athlete contract anymore. Well, so for me, you know, I mean, I didn't race for seven years (laughs) (laughs) and I'm going to race, I mean, twice this year, I guess. Uh, And... I don't know. So I don't know that my contracts have necessarily looked like at at New Balance. They were very much, Mm -hmm. I mean, New Balance, like the guy who I was signing my contracts with, he signed like he was at Nike before. So Mm -hmm. he signed, like he signed Kara um, and like Abdi and Mm -hmm. Meb and these Mm -hmm. guys, you know, like just everybody. And um, so he came from that world of marathoning and track and field and I mean, I wasn't getting paid what they were getting paid, but there was a point where he was just like, dude, like you're going all over the place, like doing talks for us. He's like, this is embarrassing what we're paying you, you know? So it was just like immediately kind of leveled up that way. And I remember we, there, I, like, I had the full thing, like incentives for race results. Like I had an incentive to, at the time, uh, what was that, 20, oh God. It's the year that Ian won Rocky Raccoon and broke 13 hours. I was second that day. <laughs> but I had an incentive that day to like break the course record there because at the time it was the trail world record for 100 miles. Mm. And I ended up missing it by two minutes. But I mean, it didn't matter because Ian beat broke me it. by half an hour. But like I would have had a big bonus if I'd done that. Yeah. There. Um, and uh, so that was like how my contract was structured with New Balance and it was like very results based. But with Sportiva, it's always been more about. Uh, like adventure projects and like I have a proposal budget with them for, I mean, expeditions for lack of a better word. Um, and, uh, and kind of like media projects and stuff. So Mm -hmm. that's, I mean, that sounds more fulfilling to me. Well, yeah, because I mean, I don't really race anymore, you know, and that was brought on by injuries. But then during that period of being injured all the time, uh, 
yeah, developed more as an athlete to being more interested in that kind of stuff. Yeah. And as a creative person, you know, these expeditions take a degree of creativity, you know, it's, Oh yeah. They're completely like self-motivated, you know, and, and it's like what inspires you and yeah. Yeah, Self-motivated, motivated and often like self-devised, you know, you have to, you can do an expedition that someone's done before. Um, and you often that's the case, but you know, there's, it's not a, a clear trail that you're running in a structured sanctioned event, you know, and and that create, that takes, you know, I don't know. I found that as like someone who, uh, you know, loves expression in the mountains, you know, that that's sometimes what makes me excited is just like being able to create my own, you know, figure it out, you know, Mm -hmm. instead of just like running eight station to eight station. Totally. Yeah. And it's, that's what's fulfilling about those is how it is. It's all engaging, like all parts of your mind and body and not, there's like not the safety net and the structure and just sort of like yeah. the cookie cutter plan of a race. Yeah. You know? um, so yeah. the risk factor makes it, you know? uh, I mean that I don't do it because it's riskier, but just, but having because to that creativity, yeah. yeah, that creativity element comes in because it's, it's completely like self-devised and self-motivated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And what, by risk factor, I meant that, you know, you have to, there is a greater risk factor and with that becomes the puzzle, you know, and right, with that right, right. is the expression, sure. you know? I mean, there is also a risk in that, uh, and this, maybe I'm just keenly, more keenly aware of this, but that people understand, um, and by people, I mean public, the public or fans, uh, they understand races and they understand race results and that kind of thing. It's, it's a, it's a more difficult story to tell, that people can relate to when you're doing something that's not a race. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So you mentioned that you were racing this, this year. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Well, I've, I did that 50 K in North Carolina and then I'm heading to South Africa here in like a couple weeks. But, okay. Yeah. To do ultra trail Cape town. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Um, what, you know, going into that race, you know, with, all the context that we talked about, like what is going to be, you know, what's your why behind that race? International travel. International travel. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) If I'm being completely honest, it's like I was invited and, uh, I mean, like I said, I'm 39. I was there 10 years ago and it's like kind of blew my mind that I was invited back 10 years later. It was a different race I was doing there, but just that I had the opportunity to go to South Africa again, 10 years later. And I was like, I haven't traveled internationally since the pandemic. So Yeah, Yeah. it's it's crazy. I'm going to spend the most of the next like three months abroad. But um, yeah, that's the main thing. Uh, And also the second half of my summer didn't go the way I'd hoped. I'd hoped to run Leadville again, honestly. Mm. And I just, my Achilles flared up, had some like energy issues because I was doing a lot of, had some biking events I was doing. Uh, So Leadville didn't happen. And so it seemed like an opportunity, like a, a good opportunity to do a, a race in a cool place that, yeah. that also like challenged me physically. Is know? Haley going to? She is. Yeah. Nice. Which is super exciting because I spent a long time traveling internationally solo and it's lame. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it'll be fun to have her along for sure. Yeah. yeah. That'll, is that her first time in South Africa? That'll be, yeah, that'll be her first time. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, another question just came up in my head. Um, you know, in regards to social media, did you have, you know, Haley is a badass in her own right. And, um, I, I only know her through our mutual friend, Abby, and we've spent some time together through that. Um, and you know, does she ever find it hard to, you know, be represented on your social media? And now she's, you know, associated with you and Mm -hmm. has like her own followers, even that, I, I assume have come from you, even though she is a legit mountain athlete, you sure. know, did, do you know, and maybe I don't want you to have to speak on her behalf, but I'm, I'm wondering yeah, what that say, dynamic I, that's is. Probably you know? better for her to answer, yeah. but she, I mean, obviously I know some of what she thinks about this and she's definitely ambivalent about being in the public eye. Yeah. Um, uh, she has spent, she works currently in, Oh, I don't know what you would like content creation and marketing, uh, in the outdoor industry. And that's where we met. Cause she was at Sportiva. She doesn't work there anymore. 
Um, so she's always, she's done social media for various companies is currently doing that. And I don't know. I think she likes the creativity of it, but she doesn't, yeah, she's just very on the fence about how, like, much she, how she portrays herself on social media. You know? Yeah. And like, what's, like, even the point? I mean, I go back and forth on it. You uh, know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's the way she feels about that. Yeah, cool. <clears throat> um, you know, it, well, in, back to this race and, like, in context of this race, um, you know, you've always had a reputation of – you know, going hard at whatever it is, you know, in racing and training, you know, and even in this conversation, yeah, like I won't really do it unless I can do it three times a week. (laughs) You know, you won't, you either don't do it or you do it all the way. And, um, what's that going to look like for this race? Uh, it's in flux. (laughs) (laughs) A couple of weeks ago, I was feeling really good. Um, like when we were in North Carolina and we did that 50 K I had a really good week of training after that, but the last couple of weeks, I typically slump really hard in the fall. Mm-hmm. Like it's like you're going hard all summer, and then it's just like the days get shorter, circadian rhythm changes, and it's just like you need a couple of weeks or a month of just like legit downtime. And I haven't really taken that this year. I've had like a week here and a week there where I took it really easy. And one of those was just last week as kind of a desperation to like get some <laughs> mojo back before going to South Africa. <laughs> um, so a couple of weeks ago, I'd have been like, I'm going to go there and I want to be like top five, you know, yeah. because I think I can. And I, I love competing still. Um, it comes from a much different source of motivation. It's just like, trying to get to that spot where I'm getting the best on myself on a given day, not mm-hmm. necessarily beating other people, but it helps to have that as like a motivating structure, you know, it's like, yeah, being, I, I love being competitive in a field, you know, it's just super fun. Um, but I don't know right now, it's just hard to say, like I, mm-hmm. I just got little injury tweaks right now that are giving me a lot of frustration. It's just stupid stuff, you know, um, they've just like been cr- like, just for like the past week, I just feel like I'm enforcing it. And that's not an awesome place to feel like going into a race. Yeah, so. you got time still. Yeah. Well, when do not, you leave? Not much, like a couple of weeks. Yeah, that's <laughs> but, enough time um, if you so we'll chill. See. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I don't know. That's the way I feel yeah. going into Cape Town. But I'm. it's funny because I try and remind myself how all of this is just kind of like icing on the cake. Yeah. Because when uh, the organization there reached out to me, I don't know, late summer or something. They're like, we don't even need to race. We just want you to have, have you there. And, um, so the fact that I'm signed up for the hundred K is the fact, you know, that I was feeling good enough to be able to do that. It was, I don't know. I've had a lot of years where running was basically not a possibility at all. So yeah, I still feel grateful, I guess. So we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. Cool. I'm, that's awesome. Um, you know, I'm going to wrap it up here, but I'm curious before we do, you know, mm-hmm. with everything that you do, as we, I said, you are all in and, um, what in it, in that do you think makes you tick? Like, why are you, are you like that? And do you think that translates into your racing and the rest of your life and what makes you tick and what makes you able to run 200 miles a week and what makes you able to compete at a high level or climb at a high level? Um, I don't, I'm afraid of like wasting time, I guess. I'm not comfortable with the idea of death. So <laughs> I'm like pretty aware of my mortality and just how little time we have. And so I don't, I want to feel like every day I'm, not, not that I've necessarily made the motive, most of it because, like, I mean, I fall into all the traps that people do. You know, scrolling social media, losing a half hour here, an hour there, just, like, doing whatever bullshit when you should be doing something more worthwhile. But in general, I feel this urgency in my life to, like, do things and that we have a finite amount of time. So that's, that's where that comes from. Um, yeah. And it, but you know, it's, that's, there's got to have like the macro picture too. There's, there's peaks and valleys and ebbs and flows and times to go hard and times to rest. Uh, but that's kind of what always 
drives it for me, I guess. Is yeah. Not, Whether it's competition or like just getting outside. Or, oh, I mean that, no, I mean those things, that's all different, I guess. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the kind of the getting outside for sure. Competition has changed over the years. Like I said earlier, uh, it was kind of an ego thing, a validation thing. And now mm-hmm. it's like, I don't know. It's, it just feels like this super vital, ex- like life experience Yeah, to try your hardest at something with other people who are all trying hard at the same thing. Yeah. I don't know. It's crazy. Like it might just be the endorphins, um, that combined with the flow state of like knowing that you're getting the best out of yourself. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think about that experience a lot. And so, yeah, that's something I, that's what motivates me in competition now is just having that experience. I guess. Yeah. Did you ever not like that part of competition that you were stacked up against all the best? No. Yeah, I, that's always the best. That's yeah, like, it I is. Love, I it love really that. is. No, I love that. Like that's always that was always hugely motivating. I always, it's always more satisfying to be racing like the best instead of, um, because like then you get to find out, you know, yeah. like where you stack up, and uh, that's less of much less of motivation for me now. But it's still needing that structure, kind of that format of competition to like bring the best out in myself, though. You mm-hmm. know? So yeah. yeah, I only ask because, you know, I have, I'm an extremely competitive person, mm-hmm. um, just by nature, but I, there's like, when I was super burnt out and running, I also just like, didn't want to compete. And it wasn't that I didn't want to stack up with the best. I just like, didn't want st- to line up at all. I just like, no, um, I was like, ah, racing. Um, yeah, but no, yeah, I, I, I get that. <laughs> like, I mean, especially if you feel like there's external expectations or something exactly but if you have an internal motivation for it then Mm -hmm. it's not a problem i guess yeah i i found recently again that i was like in the end of the race when i like wasn't even doing well in this race that i was like oh yeah i feel like this is really fun actually the competitive part i love it i just love like the tactics and the gamesmanship and just stupid stuff like i don't know if it's almost nostalgia at this point but when you're like just like, oh, like, oh yeah, I hit a gel. Okay, drink, you know, like. <laughs> we'll <laughs> find out if it's nostalgia in a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Come back, yeah. I just don't do that that often anymore. And I guess I did it so much for so long. Yeah. That maybe it's just nostalgia at this point. But but it is that, no, it's just like purpose and focus in the moment. You yeah. Know? That's Ex- yeah. super rewarding. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Do you find you lack focus in other aspects of your life? Or are you always pretty focused? No. Uh, um <laughs> All this stuff takes a lot of energy, you know, yeah. I'm sure you're aware. <laughs> so other stuff falls by the wayside and I definitely lack focus in other areas of my life. Yeah. Um, again, it's like, it's cyclical, like it goes up and down. Um, but yeah, I only have so much like time and energy. Mm-hmm. And, totally. Yeah. That can be frustrating. I, I find that like when I'm racing, it's the only time that I can really truly be focused. Mm. Um, which is, I think, part of the reason I like it so much. I'm yeah. extremely ADHD. My brain is a million miles an hour all the time. Yeah, I'm definitely not like that, but I just, uh, I just get tired. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then it's hard Fair to focus enough. when you're tired. That's sort of my simplest, so you, simplest way to put it. Yeah. yeah, I get tired too when I'm running high yeah. volume, which is less often than you. Um, so, last question: um, What you know? everything you do is pretty public, like on Strava, on Instagram and your blogs that, you know, are very detailed and almost romantic. And what's something that, you know, you're proud of that you might not have shared or, you know, you know, that's not necessarily sport related or can be, or, you know, I think the thing I'm probably most proud of my life that isn't related to like any of this crap. Um, is having having a, f- a degree in physics. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that sounds hard. That shit was hard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was super focused during that time. I was also running, um, but all I was doing was running and doing lots of hard math. And I'm not good at math. Like, uh, yeah. That's why it was so difficult. Um, but I stuck it out and did it. Most people, like what they major at in college, they're good at. Like you're getting A's, mm-hmm. you know? That wasn't the case for me. I was I was a straight B student in the physics department. <laughs> <laughs> um, they let me graduate for sure. Like I, but anyways, yeah, it was. So that's something I'm proud of. That was already you know 20 years ago, 15 years ago. But um, yeah. I mean, that's pretty. Uh, man, I have never taken a physics class. So 
Yeah, I, I for me it was always I was interested in kind of the pop culture side of it. You know, Stephen Hawking, mm. Carl Sagan, that yeah. kind of stuff. Richard Feynman, um, cosmology, and I was on a science scholarship for college, so I had to major in the natural sciences. Mm-hmm. So I chose physics. But, what do you yeah. think you would have done with that? Well, I mean, grad school, I ended up majoring in geology as well. And I went to grad school in geography. Mm. Um, and I was working on acid mine drainage in the same lawns. <laughs> so I uh, wasn't really using physics. Yeah. I, was, I just wasn't, I wasn't good enough to use physics to go to grad school in physics. You know? Yeah. So, so yeah. much school. <laughs> yeah. It's just really hard. But, cool. Yeah. yeah. That sounds hard. Well, any last words? I think we've probably covered it. Yeah, covered thanks it for, all. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. yeah. Thanks so much. It was fun to get to know you after all these years. Sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much. Peace and love. Mm-hmm.